Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damien. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we think we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Aaron, you are up this week. Mm-hmm. What have you brought to the table today? So I'm bringing a an, a, a magazine. Um, it's a takeover issue of In These Times, and it was taken over by the Movement for Black Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so it features a variety of articles written almost exclusively by organizers in the Movement for Black Lives like network. Um, and it spans a, a wide variety of topics. Um, so this is a conversation early on in the magazine about the radical legacy of black women and movement work and how their work influences today's movement spaces uh, to conversations about how the work uh, toward abolishing the Minneapolis Police Department and the organization and organizers who have been um, doing that work and, and pushing for that. And there's also articles about the GOP's war on protest and the work that they're doing to restrict the access to the ballot. Uh, And then, you know, there's more articles about two specific movement spaces in Chicago and then in Durham that are doing some really, I think, cool and incredible kind of work. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of really great stuff in here that I think really documents what's happening right now and all the work going on across the movement for black lives and i think so i think this is going to be a really great important historical marker for what's happening like right now Mm. in movement work in 2021 is like sort of a like a document like a um you know a time capsule it's something we'll be able to look to in the future um and see see what was going on uh as as just an important way to to document what's happening right now, right? Absolutely, that's a great way to sort of uh, encapsulate it. Yeah, it's, it's, this magazine was dope. Like mm-hmm. I enjoyed every single piece in it and and I really learned so much from it. I don't know why I sort of went into it thinking I wouldn't really learn anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did. Like there were so many stories and and moments from history that were shared that I, I absolutely learned for the first time uh, yeah. reading this magazine. So, you know, it made it a worthwhile read for me. And I encourage everyone out there listening to to, to read it and check it out and, and to learn new information about both our history, but also what is taking place right now and 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 in this work and fight for, for social justice. So, you know, I, I don't know where to start uh, <laughs> because as you said, there's just so many great articles in it. Yes, um, the, yeah, all of it's great. All yeah. of it, right? Um, the, the one article about voter suppression, uh, Mm. really, really stood out to me. It's called voter suppression is white supremacy. It must be stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just this fascinating piece on like organizing work that has been done across the country, uh, to get, I think, important issues facing black people, folks with marginalized identities, you know, the poor, the elderly, um, formerly incarcerated folks, like to get the important issues facing these people, onto the ballots. Mm-hmm. And the the article did this incredible job of highlighting the successes of some of those down ballot wins that were really the fruits of organizing work in states like Missouri and Florida and Oklahoma and uh, California and, and Mississippi. Um, and so that was really cool to see and sort of read about. But then of course, on the flip side of that, right, it was heartbreaking to read about and learn about the work of Republican lawmakers um, 
who sort of actively <laughs> did not implement uh, what the voters decided on through through their votes and through these ballots. Yeah, you know, um, at the examples that were shared, like Missouri's governor um, announced that the state would not implement Medicaid expansion or budget funds for it. And, you know, despite again the voters wanting it and voting for it. Mm-hmm. Um, also in Missouri, there you know the voters approved this constitutional amendment against gerrymandering actually back in 2018. But I guess there was this like mis- misleadingly worded uh, measure on the 2020 ballot that just essentially reversed the win. Yep. All right. Um, and then if you shift over to Mississippi, their state Supreme Court struck down a medical marijuana ballot initiative um, and result because the state constitution requires that measures have signatures from five congressional districts. But get this, folks, the state has only four and it's only had four since 2002. Yeah. Right. Like what, you know, like that's what is happening. Right. So, you know, I think what all this says to me and what really stood out to me about this piece is like just the apparent threat that black and brown folks pose, um, and and I should say black and brown voters really like present to, to the right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, increased voting access and turnout by those folks really disrupts the rights like efforts and their agenda to sort of protect the interest of white supremacy. Yeah. Right. And, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, like we see that through some of the various bills that have been introduced since the 2020 election to restrict voting rights. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we've, we've, we've talked about that. So, yeah. you know, this, this was just really a great piece uh, that I think highlighted, you know, that voter suppression is is real, y'all. Like, and there are forces in our elected government like actively working against the people, you know. And we've got to continue to do everything we can to stop that, right? Yeah, that whole article um, kind of reminds me of like this uh, viral tweet that goes around about the impression of the South being like this um, sort of monolithic like um white conservative voting block yep um and right like the this viral tweet that i don't remember who tweeted it i don't don't remember but paraphrasing is like basically it's it's been held hostage by Ah. the republican lawmakers who who changed the rules to make it advantageous to them right absolutely so this highlighted how some of the ways that that happens where it's like well no these ballot measures were put on there by voters Mm -hmm. right voted on approved by the public the voting public and then the governors just said no or they figured out a way to overturn it on future ballot initiatives Mm. which also used to be something that happened in florida when i lived there is like we would do um florida ballot measures are uh constitutional amendments Ah. uh, like of the state constitution okay um and so there was one year, one election cycle where the voters approved a uh, high-speed rail, like publicly funded high-speed rail, like from Miami up to Jacksonville. Wow. Um, and so it was in the Constitution. Uh, and then the next time, if you voted yes again, you were voting to repeal it. Right. So, <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. So it, this is something that has been happening and, and ongoing, I think, for a while. But reading those things, like particularly that one that like reversed the earlier ballot measure <laughs> reminded me of that um, uh, of living in Florida for yeah. a certain time um, or at a certain time. So um, that was interesting. But 
you know, this whole article and the kind of war on voting rights is like mind blowing. Yeah. Like electoral politics, you know, I want to say it can only change so much and there are lots of limits to it and challenges and using it as a vehicle for major structural change. Right. Um, You know, that's actually next to impossible because changing things within the system doesn't really work, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think we still have to recognize that our current system still needs to be engaged with to make actual material changes within the system and stop gaps for like bigger changes. Um, and you know, the GOP is basically responding to voter wins and voter power with more restrictions to the ballot. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it, it really, it just, you know, it shows us who they really are. Right. Oh man. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think, right. Like jumping into the Supreme court decision that you, you pointed out about in Mississippi, it's just, it shows how originalism and strict constructionist readings of laws are kind of nonsense like it's just it's just nonsense like the rules you know quote unquote the rules say that it's got to have five signatures from all five districts right which if you think about it i think logically we could infer that that means we need all of our congressional districts represented yes right regardless of how many that we have long term or at the time whatever yeah Everybody, all districts need to be represented somehow. Um, And so if that's the intention, right, but you haven't done the work to update your constitution, like, like meet meet us halfway. Yeah, absolutely. All of our congressional districts were represented. Mm -hmm. That's the intention of that number in the constitution, most likely. So how do you disqualify this ballot measure from being your, implemented that your people voted on and approved. Right. Yeah. Because the original language was out of date and you haven't done the administrative work of keeping your documents up to date. How right. Like um, that's right. stuff that like students that I work with pay close attention to and do all of the time. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's just asinine nonsense. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Right. This notion of, you know, meet us halfway then. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, We've got to do better. But if we're not, and you are not, yeah, asinine nonsense. I love yeah. it. Um, so so there's a lot there in that piece that is absolutely worthy of checking out. I think, you know, uh, and Aaron alluded to this in his introduction, right? Like there's this piece called What Radical Black Women Can Teach Us All About Movement Building. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about that because, you know, it that piece really talked about and amplified the work of, of black women activists in organizing work. And, and really sort of illuminated how their work hasn't always been recognized. Yep. You know, despite the fact that so many of the successes of organizations and the wins um, that have been achieved in this fight for social justice have been because of the hard work of radical black women activists. Right. Like hard stop. Um, and so I think this speaks, for me, this speaks directly to the point I made earlier about all the learning I did from this magazine because I learned so much from this article in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for one, this article highlighted work of black women activists back in the 60s and the 70s in the welfare. And even before. And even before that, yeah. right? I think there was a mention of the 1930s too. Right. Um, of the the welfare rights movement uh, to sort of advocate and fight for uh, welfare rights of women and children and for fair wages and income and you know just for sort of plain old justice and dignity and and 
And what was fascinating about that is that many of the members of the organizations that were engaged in this work, like they mentioned the National Welfare Rights Organization, these folks were largely poor black women, yep. right, who made up these organizations, right? But I think what's so compelling you know, to think about is the fact that these women knew that this work was right um, and it was important and that it would have impact on generations to come. Um, and it did. So that's why they did it. Um, and so I, there was a lot of learning that I did there. And I want to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, you know, it was also so fascinating to learn about a woman named Pearl Sherrod, mm-hmm. um, who was this black woman and sort of this working class journalist activist back in the 1930s who who really sort of shepherded the efforts of black internationalism. Yeah. And, you know, efforts to sort of align in her work in particular to align with Asian activists in the rights, uh, in the fight for rights and, and freedom for all people. And I think one of the sort of big lessons that the article pointed out was the fact that we should be intentional about the fact that our work and, and efforts should be transnational, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that we should frame anti-blackness and anti-black racism as an international human rights issue because it is, right? And so what does that mean about our connectedness to folks across the globe who face similar issues, you know? So there's just so much in this piece that um, I learned about and I I really appreciated. Yeah, I think the transnational solidarity piece is so important. And I think you see it reflected in the work that different organizations are doing today, right? Like the Dream Defenders. um, They got a few shout outs in this. They did, yep, Um, throughout the magazine. Um, Dream Defenders, Movement for Black Lives, uh, Black Lives Matter Global Network to a certain extent too. Like a lot of these um, organizations are are seeing their struggle in the struggles of other people in other places. um, And seeing these things as interconnected issues um, all happening within the same kind of systems yes um and so i yeah i think that's hugely important yeah um and you know the history and the through line of the work of black women decades ago to the work being done across movements today is amazing right and so yeah i was also grateful to learn more about some of these stories like pearl sherrod and um just it's just more stories to know and look up to and admire and people to like know about and admire which i think is always um important because they've they've done work that could maybe like show other people like direction and give people sort of inspiration or or inspiration people to look up to right yeah um yeah so that whole article was great um as well and i think it's actually called something different versus the online Versus the oh so yeah, we I, should, I would, wanted to point that out yes. too. If you're reading along the physical copy and the online copy, um, we read different versions at different times, and so we might yep. refer to different articles as different things. Good point. Um, I was taken aback when I went back and forth between the two versions. But anyway, um, I wanted to talk a minute for a minute about Spirit House. Oh yeah, um, and cultural organizing. Fascinating. Yeah, it's it just seems super powerful because mm-hmm. um, it's building progressive movement organizing on top of cultural practices and norms that are already in place in a community right and so mm-hmm. it's building trust and believing in the people that exist to continue to move all of us forward yes um and so or spirit house uh this organization in 
Durham, North Carolina, yeah. I believe. Um, they just sound super incredible. And I know there are lots of other organizations doing this kind of cultural organizing. Um, Breathing Room in Chicago is also referenced in a sort of separate article, but yep. is doing some similar things. Um, so to quote the article, they define cultural organizing as a lens that values the people and the community as they are, that works alongside them to integrate and leverage their knowledge of themselves into sustainable organizing strategies. Yeah. And that just sounds like a real framework for change to get communities to sort of buy into larger structural change that will benefit themselves, people around them, like everybody. Right? Yeah. Um, and so finding ways to harness the power in culture and tradition to move everything forward, it just sounds like remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so much of it that, you know, we talk a lot here about humanity mm -hmm. and i think there's some connection here to this idea of humanity and particularly i think the article sort of pointed out like the importance of sort of people being their authentic selves right and living yeah. their truth and sort of um and so this sort of pays attention to that and and honors that and respects yes. that right yes in addition to sort of the the this cultural sort of work that's happening alongside of it um that yeah i i'm so glad you brought up spirit house and we could give them a shout out here because i think what they're doing is out of this world. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that too. Um, at, I don't know where it is in the book, towards the end of my reading, uh, one of the last things I read in the online version uh, that I wanted to talk about was this letter that was written by Barbara Ransby. It does, it closes out the magazine. It's it, the last two, yes. two or three pages. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> um, she, Barbara Ransby, is a professor of history at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and is a longtime activist. And what's really cool here is that she wrote this letter from the year 2071 um, to sort of share with us here in the current times a glimpse of what the future looks like and to honor all of the work that has been done to get us there. And it, she starts out by sort of mentioning James Baldwin, right, mm -hmm. and his mindset of dreaming about and, and demanding the impossible, all right? And that sort of grounded her words and, and her writing this letter. And um, spoiler alert, if you can't tell, I loved this letter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and the idea uh, or this notion that all of the organizing work, the activism, the legislation, us marching in the streets, our votes, like that it all pays off, yeah. right, to some degree. So, you know, to sort of briefly sort of give you a sense of what it's about. Like in this letter, she talks about how they are living in a world that we couldn't even imagine, mm -hmm. right? But we've collectively worked so hard to achieve it. You know, it's a world where everywhere is accessible, uh, where the planet is green and healthy because we've actually embraced and acted on environmental justice, um, where we have holidays uh, that celebrate and honor important activists and sort of moments in our history that are, are truly important to us. Um, I loved the piece where she talks about education sort of being one of the sort of chief um, things that they've addressed, right? And they've reimagined education to see all of our children as geniuses, you yes. know, who have something important to contribute to society. And it's on us to figure out what is that for you, young person, and how do we sort of um, cultivate that within you to mm -hmm. sort of make a difference in our society? Like, I, I, as an educator, I, I loved that. Yes. Um, 
and I think you love this next piece, like they're, they're like the capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. They moved away from capitalism, right? And and the notion that we sort of live to work, like we're grinding and we're working and that's all we can do. And some of us are working multiple jobs just to to make it work. Um, so we've moved away from that. Yes. Um, I'm gonna quote them here. They say, as she says in this piece, uh, it's a world where we no longer have wannabe tough guys running around in uniforms, waving guns and shooting people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, and they've instead sort of figured out a way and implemented some of the abolitionist strategies that we've talked about here on the show. Um, and we've read about in, in many of our uh, media that we've had on the table. Yeah. Um, and, and this idea that, that, you know, they're at a place where they're celebrating love in all of its forms and expressions. And what's really cool about it is sort of towards the end, she fully acknowledges that it's not a perfect world. It's not a utopia. You know, they still have many challenges to figure out. But again, it was a world that was and had actively achieved some of the impossible possibilities that we we talk about right now and we're talking about and we're fighting for. And so it just, I mean, to me, it was just this a beautiful letter and it filled me with some hope. And, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to read it. Yeah, I think that letter from the future to the people doing out here doing the work today is like this amazing vision of the future based on yeah. and connected to like what people are demanding and pushing for right now. So um, it's this really beautiful imaginary, not imaginary, but like sort of beautiful way to envision yes. what the future could That's look it. like. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I yeah, hope we can work toward it's something we can work toward 2071 yeah. Woo. 50 years yeah um all right let's talk about application i okay. think there's a lot here about application uh, you know this whole magazine is a study in how theory and ideas get applied to everyday organizing yes right? yeah yeah um so i want to highlight i talked about spirit house um i want to highlight breathing room mm-hmm. um in the article that they had um, about about breathing room and point out all the things that Damon Williams and his comrades are doing in Chicago through their organizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're promoting cultural events and mutual aid. Um, and they have a free store. So they give away clothes that have been donated to people who need clothes. Yeah. Um, so people just show up and they're like, I need this. And it's like, okay, Take it's it. yours. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're also giving space to people to live because a homeless shelter was shut down. Um, you know, in the neighborhood and then also doing political education about abolition as well and yeah. infusing that into everything that you're doing too. So yes. um, it's really, I think, a remarkable kind of space and, and organizing that they're doing. Um, and there's a whole lot of powerful organizing happening there that I think people could in their own ways emulate in their neighborhoods on a small scale, right? Like, so I think that's what I want to highlight about application here is like looking at the things that, right? Like doing all of those things sounds like a lot, but doing one of them and taking one idea or contributing to something that's already happening in your neighborhood is something that I think we can all do and take away and, and be inspired by, the work that Damon Williams is doing and and the work that Spirit House might be doing as well. So, yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. That's a great application of all of this. And, you know, as you say, like maybe focus on one thing, right? Or look to some yep. existing spaces in your neighborhood and what can you contribute to them? I think that's beautiful, right? And, yeah. um, and start there, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the other cool thing about that idea, Aaron, is like this idea that, you know, you would 
probably inspire other people, right? And you would yeah. get others on board, right? And you would build this sort of network of comrades to do this work with you, and then it expands. And so, yeah, I love that. Very, very good. Um, I agree with you. There's so much in this magazine that could be turned into application, right? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, that's it, what the that's, magazine's about. That is exactly <laughs> yeah. what it's about. Like, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think one of the biggest pieces of application that's sort of this, this thread throughout many of the pieces in the magazine is this importance of having an appreciation for um, and also continuing to support and engage in sustained activism and organizing work, mm -hmm. right? Like organizations like the Movement for Black Lives and, and so many others are out here doing incredible work. And some of it is very public, right? Like the marches in the streets and the legislation that is you know, being you know, talked about. Um, but some of, so much of it is not. Right. Like yeah. it's it's also the everyday nitty gritty work um, that is necessary in this fight for social justice and collective liberation. Um, and so I wanted to share a quote from the introductory piece um, because I think it amplifies this idea of application for me. So the quote is the civil rights leader, Bob Moses, uh, reflecting the wisdom of his youth, once remarked eloquently on the importance of everyday organizing and how often it is minimized. Mm. To paraphrase, sometimes we see the white caps of the waves without appreciating the powerful force that is the ocean. When the cameras turned away in 2020, the constellation of black-led organi organizations in the movement for black lives continued their everyday organizing, forging relationships, incubating resistance strategies and campaigns, developing leadership pipelines, seeing radical, seeding radical critiques and amplifying demands for a better life and a more just society. We know that part of the struggle is to win hearts and minds. We have to create spaces for people in our communities to build, learn, celebrate, and see themselves in one another. We also need policy interventions that loosen the grip of the state over our lives, heighten the contradictions of racial capitalism, and create a container for us to practice governance. Mm. You know, and so I wanted to share all of that because I, you know, it featured a quote from the great Bob Moses, who actually just passed away uh, last month, and. But I, I, so I appreciate his words so much um, and both his words and this thread throughout the magazine about the importance of supporting and working alongside these organizations we believe in day in and day out. And I know it is exhausting at times, right, especially when things happen in our society that just, you know, hurt our souls. But I think that work is important and it's and that idea is powerful application work for all of us to take away from this magazine. Yeah, that. That whole quote you just pulled out, I think, was super powerful and, and um, really amazing to see um, Bob Moses being quoted there as well. And yeah, I think the emphasis on the day to day work um, was there in that quote. And I think it's kind of throughout the magazine, too. Right? Yeah. Like it's 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 um, it's a clear piece. Um, what you just said was a clear piece of, of application. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that. Yeah. Um, all right, so homework. I think there's a lot here that <laughs> yes. can be homework to learn more about. Um, I think my specific thing is I've been talking, I feel like I've been talking about cultural organizing for the last several minutes. It's awesome. Of course yeah. you, yes. Yeah. So I think so. Um, that's kind of my homework is like what, um, what does it look like in the day to day? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think what I want to, look into that a little bit um, and also learn more about spirit house and breathing room. 
Um, and so those are a couple things I want to, I want to spend some time learning a little bit more about. I love that. Mm. Um, you know, I talked about how much learning I did from this mm-hmm. magazine. Um, and so uh, I'm with you. I want to do, um, some more work to learn a little bit more about our history and the work that has happened in the fight for social justice that was presented in this magazine and so many of the pieces, right? Like I want to read about and and learn more about the Black Radical Congress mm-hmm. and the work that they did in the 1990s. That was mentioned in one of the articles. And, um, you know, I just am not as familiar with the work that they did as I should be. Um, and so that's one thing. I also want to read and learn more about some of the black women that were highlighted in that what radical black women can teach us all about movement building peace. Like there are, there are lots of great images. Also, we even talked about that, like lots of great images through, uh, the, the art, the magazine. Um, and there's a great picture of women like Etta Horn and Blua Sanders who were a part of an instrumental to the welfare rights movement. Um, and, women like Kathleen Cleaver, who helped organize the Free Huey movement in the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. And we've mentioned Pearl Sherrod a number of times here, right? Um, These stories and these activists and and organizers are important parts of our history. And I love what you said earlier about them being inspirations Mm -hmm. um, and inspirational. And so I'm excited to sort of do my homework and learn more about them and amplify their stories. Yeah, I think there's so much richness in the history of movement work, um, right? Like these folks and their work can be um, North Stars, which was one of the uh, things in the in the opening letter yeah. uh, in the magazine, um, too, is finding our North Star and, and working toward that. I love that. Um, yes. I think so. One of the things that I, I really appreciate about the Barbara, Barbara Ransby letter at the end of the magazine was this quote. To build a new future is as much about memory as imagination. Ah. And so that feels really connected to your homework, too, is like learning more about what's come before us yes. and how that does guide us forward and, and how that can be um, our North Stars. I love yeah. that. Very good. All right. Um, well, so, Damien, you're up next week. Uh, what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am. All right, folks. So next week I'm bringing... Sort of this combination film slash documentary slash what I think they call it as a page to stage to HBO uh, <laughs> adaptation uh, to the table for us. It is Between the World and Me, mm. which is, of course, based on uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates's bestseller by the same name. Um, the This film that we're going to watch came out back at the end of 2020, I think in November, um, yeah. and you can find it on HBO Max. Uh, but... Basically, as I just mentioned, right, is this TV adaptation of Coates' incredible book um, that features passages from the book, archival footage, performances. I think there's some hip hop music in there and 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 so much more. Um, and it stars a lot of incredible people like heavyweight Hollywood talent, people like Oprah Winfrey and Angela Bassett and Joe Morton and Mahershala Ali and Courtney B. Vance. I mean, that, that's just scraping the surface of like who is in um this film. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, we are definitely big fans of Coates here and his work. Yes. And so I'm excited to sort of watch this film and, and, and talk about it with you next week. Yeah. I've been wanting to watch that since it came out. Um, and somehow haven't gotten around to it, but, yeah. um, you know, also after reading the book a few years back. So I'm definitely looking forward to that conversation next week. Awesome. Right All right. So we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life. 
follow us on social media, sign up for our email list. Uh, if you want to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.